Well, turn, if you would, in the scriptures this evening to the book of Philippians. We are a scripture reading bunch around here. Is that right? We don't just tote Bibles. We actually look at them and read them. Is that right? And, and refer to them, use them, and endeavor to do them. Now, we're going to add something to your reading this week. And that's not a problem for you now, is it? I mean, you're just happy about reading some extra, aren't you? Feeding your spirit. Well, there is a portion of Scripture. We've done this before, and you know what I'm getting to. But there's a portion of Scripture called the Song of Solomon. Hmm? And a lot of people, <laughs> I've never read it. And some folk read a little bit of it and thought, man, I don't understand that. And some people have read it and thought, should that be in here? And <laughs> There is an anointing on those words in Song of Solomon for husbands and wives. And it goes far beyond what you understand with your head. And so uh, let's, as uh, husbands and wives, married couples, let's read Song of Solomon together out loud this week. So we'll read two chapters a day. Of Song of Solomon. In addition to your regular chapter. Now you don't have to read them at the same time. But uh, read them together as husband and wife. And if you can. If you can see. You know because some Bibles are marked to where it shows the man's part and the wife's part. What to read. If you can make it out. Do it. You know the man read the man's part. Wife read the wife's part. If you're not sure about it. Well just hit at it the best you can. See how you come out. But read it. And read it out loud. Are you with me, right? Yes. I know your time is precious. I consider my time precious, and I treat your time as precious, and we're not wasting your time here. Amen. Right? Amen. This is an investment, and uh, make this investment, husbands and wives, read it out loud, together, uh, whenever it's convenient for you during these times, and also read 1 Corinthians 13. So you'll be reading a total of four chapters a day. Is that okay? Can you handle that? Well, certainly. Four chapters a day. You got your regular chapter that everybody at Faith Life Church is reading. And then you got two chapters. Like, for instance, uh, you know, tonight or tomorrow, whenever you want to, you'll read chapter one and chapter two of Song of Solomon. And then you read 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, it helped you to read it, 1 Corinthians 13, in other translations like the Amplified in particular. And uh, feed your spirit on these words. Now before you read them, like we always do, pray and say, Lord, minister to me, minister to us with these words. Let revelation, let anointing come out of these words and into me. And we're believing to feed our faith in these areas. Feed our spirit. Give us a vision. Of what you intended marriage to be. Right? And what you've ordained it to be. Help us to see what we've not seen. And I don't care how many times you read it. It's like any other part of the word. Or how much you've seen. How many know there's all kind of things there you have not seen yet. And a whole lot of it has to do with growing and developing. You know, you have to grow some to even see some things. Did you know that? I've had the Lord... uh, You know, there have been times in my life that I didn't understand something. And so I went to him in prayer. And I asked him, Lord, help me with this. I asked him a question. What does this mean? 
How am I to understand this? Please teach me about this. And he did. Thank God. Fifteen years later. Amen. <laughs> it seemed, you know, you might think he didn't hear my prayer because I didn't see it at the end when I said amen. And I didn't see it the next day. And I didn't see it the next week. And I didn't see it for 15 years. And I was going along and I went to sit down at my desk and revelation begins to come up in me. And I realized that's what I asked the Lord about 15 years ago. Well, you know, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. So how long would that have been to him? Huh? Ten minutes? Yeah. I mean, it would have been like that, like it is to us, a few minutes. But I understood when he started talking to me about, don't mean I'm hearing an audible voice now, but inside me, I'm seeing, I'm understanding what I didn't understand, but I realized why he hadn't said something to me about it till now. If he'd have answered me when I asked it, I wouldn't have known what he was talking about. Are y'all with me now? I wouldn't. If he'd have started telling me the very same thing he told me 15 years later, I would not have understood. He could have told me. I wouldn't have been much better off understanding wise. I wouldn't have known what he meant. Are there questions that three-year-olds can ask you that it's difficult for you to answer them? You could give them the answer and they wouldn't be any better off than before you did because they don't understand what it means. They just have to grow for a while to even understand the answer. And that's the way all the Word of God is. You grow some and you read it and you go, wow, why didn't I see that before? It was right there where you had to grow. And so we'll do this, you know, as the years go by, the Lord, lest he directs us another way. How many believe we'll just come up in Revelation and we'll have relationships that are just on some par and on some levels that other people think that you couldn't even have. They don't even think it's real. But it is. It is. God is a good God. And his grace extends to our marriages. Right? Oh, yeah. There's grace to be married. There's grace to have a family. Right? You're not just on your own. There's word of God for it. There's anointing on this word. And there's grace for it. And wise people feed their faith, feed their spirit on it. So what are we reading now? Reading our chapter. And what else? Two chapters. Song of song. We read one, two, and then we'll read three, four. You know how it goes. And then what else are we reading? Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, the great love chapter and the maturity chapter. You see, he's talking about love, but it goes on into talking about maturity. And there's no such thing as growing up without growing up in love. The two go hand in hand. Philippians 2, are you there? Are we having fun? (laughs) Are y'all believing with me tonight? Now, you know, if you relax too much and don't help me out. It will affect the quality and level of the ministry. But if we all stir our faith up together, then uh, we can get beyond what we had thought about. I like preaching beyond what I know. Anybody know what I mean by that? I've done it a number of times. You know, utterance begins to come and I'm thinking, boy, I need to write this down. I need to write because I've never heard it, never thought about it. It was, you know, you're preaching beyond yourself, which is what it's supposed to be. You know, some level of that every time that the Holy Ghost, the teacher is ministering to us. So stand up on your feet again. Shake a little bit. Don't be too comfortable. I know you like these nice, comfortable seats. They're all paid for, but they're not for sleeping. They are. For receiving and 
rejoicing and repenting and, huh? Yeah, yeah, all those wonderful things. So uh, let's agree together. Father God, we do agree together. We join our faith together and we agree as touching this thing. We ask of you for full utterance tonight and this week for questions to be answered, solutions to difficulties, uh, things that have been obscure and vague and not distinguished, that they would come very plain. And we would see in the light, in your light, we see the light. And that the truth would make us free. And Lord, we are not hearers only, but we are doers. By your grace, we'll put it into practice. We'll do it. You say change it, we'll change it. You say stop it, we'll stop it. You say start it, we'll start it. We are doers. By your grace, and through Christ, the anointed one, we can do all things as you strengthen us. Lord, get glory to yourself. In our lives, in our marriages, in our families, everybody say, get glory to yourself. Get glory to yourself in us. Hallelujah. Praise God. You can be seated. Philippians 2. Philippians 2. We are so blessed. Mm. How blessed we are. Philippians 2. And uh, verse 1, he says, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, and you know there is, fulfill my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Now, can you hear the heart of the Father God in this? Can you hear him saying to husbands and wives, saying to parents and children, saying to pastors and congregations and ministries and people all over, get together, (laughs) work it out, be of one mind. Does it please God when there is any measure of strife among us? Oh, I don't know if we've really seen the heart of God. The Bible said it is one of the things that he hates is strife and those that sow discord. Now, how many of them that's a strong thing to say when God said, I hate it. On other places, he said, it's an abomination to me. I hate it. It's an abomination. Well, that ought to be enough reason right there for us to be far from it. And you can hear the heart of God through Brother Paul here and the ministry. He's saying, well, let me just read it out loud. I can't say it any better than this. What did he say? If there's any consolation in Christ, is there? Oh, yeah. If there's any comfort of love, is there? Ah, If there's any fellowship of the Spirit and any bowels and mercies, is there? Then he said, fulfill my joy. Make me happy. Now, is this just a man talking here? Is this God? Is God saying, would you do something for me? (laughs) Would you make me happy here now? Fulfill my joy, what? That you would be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Not splintered. Now, how many know what Jesus said about a house divided? It cannot stand. It's going to fall. It's going to be destroyed. What does the enemy know this? Well, then it should be no shock and surprise to us. One of his number one tactics is divide and destroy. Right? 
He's always trying to get a wedge in somewhere, right? In between husbands and wives, in between brothers and sisters, in between parents and children, in between uh, fellow church members, fellow workers of any kind. He's always the enemy. Have you noticed this? He's always trying to get something, something started so that there's a little bit of discomfort and a little bit of myth and a little bit of disgruntled and and then he wants to feed it and he wants to twist it until it separates like a wedge you know the actual not just a word wedge but the actual wedge anybody ever split firewood before huh how many split firewood let me see okay i thought i was close to arkansas (laughs) southern missouri i'm from mississippi and I've done split a lot of firewood in my time. And you know, a lot of sticks, you can take a good sharp axe, and if you'll do it right, you can split it. But these big trunks, and these big cuts, you can hit them with an axe, and the axe will bounce off. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So what you got to do then? Got to get you a wedge and a sledge. Right? And <laughs> you're talking about some work here after a while too. But I don't care how mighty that oak was and you can look at it and you can see the rings of how many years that that tree grew and how many storms it weathered and how many droughts it made it through it there's a history inside the rings and you can have rings that go all the way out to here but how many know no matter how strong that tree was you get that wedge started in there Right? And then you just keep putting the pressure to it. And you just keep putting the pressure to it. And you keep putting the pressure to it. What will happen eventually? It will be a split and then a separation. And you keep doing it enough. That thing can be completely divided into two separate parts. And they can wind up in different counties. Right? That's what the enemy is always trying to do to you. Your spouse. Your friends. He is... A divider. Because he is a destroyer. And division is one of the best tools he has to destroy. Every house, every family, every kingdom, every church divided against itself. It cannot stand, but it will be destroyed. Now somebody say, I am not falling for it. See, we're not ignorant of his devices. Can you recognize when something's trying to divide you? See, smart people see it coming. Smart people see it, spiritual people I should say, see it beginning, in the beginning stages of it and go, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now we've seen this before and we are not yielding to this. I don't care how I feel. I don't care what's going on with my emotions right now. No, no. I see what, I see what you're trying to do, devil. And no. No, we're not falling for this. We're not yielding to this. Right? Easier said than done. But oh, if you have some wisdom, and if you walk in love, and if you walk in some faith, you can save yourself months out of the year of difficult days. You can go month after month and not have cold wars at your house. You can't. You can go month after month and then year after year with no broken dishes. Are thrown chairs, are hurled insults, are heated conversations and discussions. 
Because you're growing out of being a spiritual baby and fleshly and carnal and you're developing in love and you know what's going on and you see it coming and you don't yield to it. You say, ah, no, 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 uh-uh. no, we're not going to do this. Let's me and you go pray. Hmm? If we have two separate rooms. <laughs> I'm serious. And let's hear from God. And then let's talk about it with some sense. Right? From your heart with some wisdom and understanding instead of just running off at the mouth out of your emotions. How many remember that the scripture said we'll give an account for idle words at the judgment? Why? Because in such cases we would have let the devil speak through us. And accomplish and affect his will and purposes in the earth through our mouth. Well, somebody's got to be responsible for that. Hurting people and damaging people and destroying people through the word. How many understand words are not nothing? I mean, words affect creation and destruction, right? And so we can't just shoot off at the mouth and let the enemy pop anything in our head, any kind of feeling, and we'll just spit it out and it affects people and it hurts people and it damages situations and relationships. And we go, oh, oh, I didn't mean it. Well, tough. You're responsible. And you're going to give an account for it. And I'm going to give an account for it, the Bible says, at the day of judgment. So it'd be wise of us, right, to grow up, get a hold of this thing right under our nose. Right? And use it. What the Bible say? Let no corrupt communication. How much? No corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but just that which is good to the use of edifying, that it might minister grace to the hearers. See, every time you start to open your mouth, you need to be thinking, is this going to bless them? Is this going to help them some way? Is it going to edify them? If not, why am I talking? Right? People talk as a hobby. (laughs) As recreation and as entertainment, right? They just, (laughs) some folk, bless their hearts, they just run their mouth nonstop all day and all night and say nothing. Now you know it's true, but it's not okay. Because life and death's in the power of the tongue. Right? And when you're speaking, either the Lord is able to use these words or the enemy is able to use these words and we're accountable. See, God made us a speaking spirit. We're different from the animals on the planet, right? We're different from angels and demons. He gave us the right to choose to believe anything we want to believe and say anything we want to say. Oh, we have some kind of freedom. As spiritual beings. But by the same token. Then we're responsible. For everything we decide to believe. And say and do. So let's use our words. Like wise men and women. To edify. Not to divide. And destroy. But to unite. To restore. If you look to the Holy Ghost. In times of challenge. He'll show you what to say. To help defuse the situation. Instead of throwing gasoline on the fire. Right? Now no raised hands at this point. But just you know. Maybe you know somebody. 
that was in a tense situation and they knew this thing come up and they knew if I say that it's just going to make them matter. They know if I say it it was really going to blow this thing up. But they just had to say it. Well how many know that you can be wiser than that and you can look to the Holy Ghost and when things start to get out of hand He'll show you what to say to calm it down. To cool it off. He'll show you what to say to help avoid escalation. If you'll look and if you'll try. Now notice what he said. The heart of the Lord is for us to be in unity, together, fellowshipping, like-minded, same love, one accord, one mind. Verse 3, look at this. Verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, empty glory. Pride, strife and pride. And if you study the... uh, Book of Proverbs, you'll see that pride and strife go together. One scripture says, only by pride comes contention. Pride is one of the biggest culprits in fights and arguments. I have to be right. You have to be wrong. You have to admit that you're wrong. I'm right. (laughs) I mean, you can be technically right, but really wrong. Hmm? See, God is not just looking at technicalities. He's looking at everybody's heart in this deal. And there's some folk that's been so adamant about I'm right, and they were the biggest ones that were wrong, heart-wise. Technically, they were right. But there's more involved than technically. He said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. How much? Nothing. Don't do anything like that. How much strife is uh, acceptable? How much pride and contention is acceptable in our relationship? Absolutely none. We should be completely intolerant of pride and contention and strife in ourself. He said, but in lowliness of mind, or you could say humility, let each do what? Let each esteem other or the other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Notice that phrase now. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Say that out loud. Esteem Esteem the other other better better than than myself. Let's say it together twice. Esteem the other better than myself. One more time. Esteem the other better than myself. Now see, he just got through telling us how to avoid strife, how to stay out of pride, how to stay out of division, right? How to stay in unity. This is a big key right here. Do what? Esteem the other person as good as. You know, people have all kind of sayings. Well, now bless God, I don't believe I'm no better than nobody else, but I don't believe nobody else is better than me. That's not a scripture. Right? What did he tell you to do? Esteem the other what? Now, this is the thing the Lord put on my heart tonight. This word esteem. Everybody say esteem. It means, basically, to value. When you esteem something or someone, you value them. The word honor describes some of the same ideas. 
The word respect describes some of the same ideas. If you honor something, it means you treat it as valuable and important. If you respect something, respect, if you trace back the roots of the words, it has to do with what is worth something and what is not worth anything. You respect what you believe is worth something. Something that you don't think is worth anything, well, you don't respect it, you don't honor it, you don't value it, you don't esteem it. Now this is one of the big areas where the enemy has been able to be effective in causing strife and division in marriages is people failing to esteem each other properly. People failing to value each other. Now, this is not something, you know, and this is part of this whole thing is why this building is not full tonight. Because people think they don't need to hear this. Oh, I already got that. Yeah, I know that. I know all those verses, and they're the very ones that's not doing it. This is not something that happens automatically. And if you sit up and you say, well, yeah, I appreciate my wife. And my life. Yeah, I appreciate my husband. Yeah, sure, I respect him. Sure, sure. I mean, you don't have to tell me that. We really need to tell you that. <laughs> that attitude and that response tells us everything we need to know about it. Did you hear me? This is something you have to feed. It's something you have to exercise. And particularly the longer you know somebody. And the more you're around them, the more you have to watch this. Because you'll be tempted to judge them after the flesh. You'll be tempted to become over familiar with them and come to the place where you no longer value them and appreciate them and see them like you should. Now anybody that's been married in length of time, you know this is true. Thank you for those three nods. What I'm saying to you is this esteeming each other better than yourself, it is not automatic and it is not natural to your flesh. What is natural to your flesh? (laughs) Esteem me better (laughs) than the other. Now, we've said this before. That, well, let me ask you, see if you remembered it from last year and the year before. The number one problem in marriage relationships, what would you say? Selfishness. Oh, good. Selfishness. It is. You know, uh, in 1 Corinthians 7, he talked about marriage relationships. He said, such will have trouble because of the flesh. Well, what is the nature of the flesh? It's the very opposite of the nature of the recreated human spirit. The love of God has been shed abroad in our flesh. Uh-uh. No, in our hearts. By the Holy Ghost. Well what's the nature of your flesh? Selfishness. Yours. Mine. Right? And all you got to do to be selfish. Is just open your eyes in the morning. (laughs) Just wake up. And selfishness is with you. Every hour. Of every day. Did you hear me now? It is. Now if you don't. Realize this, you need to think about it, look at it. You don't have to try to be selfish. It is the natural inclination of the flesh. What you have to do is let the love of God, let the love of God rule and dominate you in your spirit and walk in love instead of selfishness. Go with me to some scripture. You like scripture, don't you? 
in uh, the New Testament, in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, we're going to look at God's word to both wives and husbands concerning this. Ephesians 5.33. He's talking to the wives at the end of this, the husband in the beginning and the wife in the end. Ephesians 5.33, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, a lot of ladies don't care for that word, and so they just ignore the whole thing. It's a fact. Reverence. And, you know, we're going to look at this in just a minute. But, you know, in 1 Peter 3, it talks about if you're a godly woman like Sarah, that she obeyed Abraham. A lot of folk, that's politically incorrect. Obey. It's been removed from most uh, marriage vows now. It has. Obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, that scripture is really ignored. You can, if you even read it out loud in service, you can almost hear uh, some ladies' minds thinking, if you think that I'm going to call Buford Lord, you got another thought. Hey, I didn't write that. <laughs> huh? You didn't write that. I didn't write that. And it's New Testament. Now, if you want to say I don't understand it, okay, but don't just throw it away. Let's find out what it means. Right? Well, we're emphasizing one aspect of it. And we're going to talk about the other side of this in just a minute. So don't get tense. (laughs) The wife is to reverence, the King James said. Her husband, well, listen to the Amplified of this. It says, uh, let the wife see that she respects And reverences her husband, the Amplified amplifies it and says that she notices him, regards him, honors him, prefers him, venerates, esteems him, defers to him, praises him, loves and admires him exceedingly. You could sum up all of this by saying esteem. Esteem. This is so important. I have seen the eyes of a man who knows that his wife despises him. And I've seen what it did to his soul. And so many times, that's not an excuse, but so many times it's why men just quit. Because, you know, if you back up to the beginning stages of this, and we're going to talk, we're going to go back and forth. People laugh about it, but you know, the guy and the girl's dating, and uh, the girl, you know, he's got his head under the hood of the car, and she says, You understand all that? And you know what all that stuff is? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've adjusted valves lots of times. Mm-mm. Well, you know, I like a man who knows how to work on his stuff. That's doing something for him right now. She says, oh, man, look at that arm. You're so strong. Boy, I like a man. Got a good arm on him. That does something to a man 
the any degree that works on women too. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But when somebody admires you and sees you as important and valuable, it reaches inside you if you let it, and it'll get a hold of your soul. Now, it's also what happens. Somebody's been married 30 years. And their spouse is not giving them the time of day. And treating them like a piece of furniture. And somebody at the office or somebody outside comes along and makes a big deal out of them. Did you hear me? And sees their accomplishments and sees their strengths and sees their abilities and talks about them. Well, if you listen to it, that will get in your soul. That will pull on you to love them. God's made us that way. Why do you think he told us this? Out of all the things he could have told husbands and wives, this is what he told us. Why? Because it's not just a good idea. There's spiritual law at work. He made us this way. And when you start doing some of this, it reaches inside that other person. And starts pulling things out of them. Good things. The enemy knows this. So he's always at work to try to diminish and devalue your spouse in your eyes. And his objective is to get you to where you despise them. And if he can get you to despise her and her to despise you, things will start dying. Did you hear me? Instead of something being pulled out of you, love and concern and care and affection, nothing's being drawn on. Nothing's being fed. Nothing's being nourished. Things will start dying. Division is happening. And that's left unchecked. Things will die. There will be division and destruction. But here's the thing. It's a deception. That people, I've seen it before. You know, we've done this around here sometimes. But so many times in pre-marriage counseling or something like that, you'll see where they'll have the couples that, you know, they're head over heels in love with each other. And they want to get married and soon as possible. And one exercise that you see sometimes people do is have them sit down and, you know, separate places and write out a list of everything you adore about that other person. And, oh, man, at this stage, they can write books. Oh man, I mean, uh, oh, they're so wonderful. And this is, they do this and they do that. And they know this and they know that. And, and, oh, okay. Now make another list. All the things you don't like about them. I've seen people sit there starry eyed like, I just don't know of a thing. <laughs> they're so wonderful. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And sometimes in six months, Six months after they're married. And you get them back in there to do the same thing. They're having trouble. Well, what's wrong? Well, he don't do this. And, and he didn't do that. And, and he did this. And I told him not to. And well, she won't do this. And she won't. Well, you know, tell us what's wrong. Man, they can write you a book about what's wrong with that other person. <laughs> did that person really change that much in six months? No. Then what happened? The state of mind, 
the state of soul, the state of emotions is night and day difference. Heaven and hell difference. But the people didn't change that much in six months. What happened? What they were doing changed. What they were looking for in that person and what they were talking about and thinking about changed. Instead of looking at the good things, they started looking at the faults and emphasizing the faults and talking about the problems and talking about what you didn't do and what you don't have and what you ought to do. And friend, when you do that, you are going right down the path of darkness. You are going down the path of death and destruction. There's any one of us. Me, you, anybody. We could pull up and put up on the platform and put some spots on us. And nitpick us. Well, let's all see what we can find wrong with Brother Keith. Well, you look hard enough and you keep looking and you keep examining. You could find some stuff and you keep talking about it and you talk about it long enough. That's all that you'll be aware of. But that's not all there is to me. We could do the same thing with you. But that's not all there is to you. And is it spiritual to fault find? See, a lot of times people think it shows their spirituality. I know your faults. I discerned them. Because they're so spiritual. They pick everything. No, let me tell you what spiritual is. Spiritual is able to look past all the junk and see the good. And see the potential. And keep the good in front of you even when the bad is glaring. That's spiritual. That's walking in love. And that's esteeming things properly. Esteeming the Lord properly. Steaming his gifts properly. Every person is precious. Would you agree with that statement? Every human being, every spirit, man and woman is precious. So precious. The Bible said their price ceases forever. Gold and silver can't buy one soul. All the billions and trillions and whatever number you could put together on the planet could not buy one soul. That's how precious we are. But there was something precious enough to buy us. The blood of the Lamb. And He paid every drop of it to buy us. He sees us As precious. And how many know that he knows what's precious and what's not? And if he says you're precious, then you're precious. And if he says that your spouse is precious and valuable, then they are. Do not disagree with him. Do not try to correct him and say, yeah, but you don't have to live with him, Lord. (laughs) Let me tell you about Miss Precious. (laughs) No, you're wrong. He's right, and you're wrong. How do we stay out of strife? How do we stay out of contention? Esteem the other what? Better than ourselves. Let's just stop right here with this concept of esteeming, valuing them. we got to look at them as valuable. we got to talk about them as valuable. we got to think about their merits, their abilities, their good points. Right? What about the bad ones? That's not our job. Do you see anywhere in Ephesians 5 
where he told the wife to help her husband see his faults. Or another passage where he told the husband to make sure he pointed out to the wife all of her shortcomings so she'd know. Then why do people do that? Why do people practice that more than they do this? Because it's the nature of the flesh and it's devilish. It is not our job to point out to our spouse all their shortcomings and their faults. Man, if we just got this one thing right here tonight and actually did it. I said and actually did it. (laughs) We'd be one of the happiest churches in the world. Right? We're already on our way, so let's just go ahead and do it. Let's be one of the happiest, most victorious, most blessed couples and families and marriages in the world. Belongs to us. All we got to do is make some changes in how we think. How we talk, actually practice the Bible. Esteeming each other better than ourselves. Now let's go to First Peter. Let's look at what he told the husband in connection with this. Similar idea, First Peter 3. Esteeming, valuing, honoring, respecting. First Peter 3. There's a lot in this passage. I'm not trying to deal with all of it tonight. Just this one thing. He talked to the verse 1 of chapter 3. He said, you wives. And he went on to talk a number of things to the wife. And then in verse 7, he says, likewise, you husbands. Now, it is so important that when a husband reads scripture that says, likewise, you wives, that he understands that God is not talking to him. I'm about to go over that again real slow. Husbands, are you a wife? No. No. So when you read scriptures that said, wives, is God talking to you? No. No. That scripture is not addressed to you. It is not talking to you. So then should you feel a responsibility to try to see that somebody does that scripture? No. The answer is no. Because God was not talking to you. Wives, are you a husband? What are you? So when the Bible says husbands, is that talking to you? That's not talking to you. So really, is that any of your business? No. Now the reason I say this is because it is such a huge deal. Phyllis and I messed up here. For years we messed up on this. Most people I know have messed up on this. Well, you know God is smart, don't you? If he says these are the two things that you do and you don't do, then you know those are the main areas. That's He'd have talked about something else if that was going to be the main area. This is what he talks about, what he puts emphasis on. I have seen husbands and wives on the other side of my desk with marriage problems. I don't mean once or twice. I don't know how many times over the years. And it follows the same pattern so often till it's almost laughable. I know they're hurting. You don't laugh at it. But it's like, oh, here we go again. Same thing. You know, because she said, well, he, you know, the Bible told you to love me. And you're not loving me like the Bible told you to love me. And he says, well, the Bible told you to submit to me and respect me. And you don't respect me. Well, if you love me like you're supposed to, then I think I could submit to you some more. Well, if you'd submit to me like you're supposed to, I could love you like a... F- 
What are they doing? They are taking the scriptures that God did not address to them. And that's the one they're emphasizing. The one that God didn't say to them. That's not smart. So husbands, you're reading along in the Bible. And it says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. What does that have to do with you? Is it your job to try to remind the wife that that's what she's supposed to do or try to see to it that she does it? If you say anything about it, you're missing it. That's between her and God. Did you hear me? Wives, if you know the Bible says, husbands, love your wife. He's not talking to you, is he? Should you say anything to your husband about loving you? And that he's supposed to love you. And how he's supposed to love you like the Bible. Should you say a word to him about that? You should not. It's not addressed to you. That's between him and the Lord. Now the reason people do this so much. Is because of selfishness. Their main focus. Is what they're supposed to do for me. Not what you're supposed to do for them. But the other way around. What they're supposed to do for me. And you got two people saying, well, you're not giving me what I need in the relationship. Well, you're not giving me what I need. Well, I need this and you're not doing it. Well, I need this. Nobody is giving. Nobody is sowing. So there is nothing to receive. And the longer you go that way, the drier it's going to get and the deader it's going to be. Because you got two takers, not two givers. Or last year we put it like this, you got two suckers, <laughs> not two sowers. Right? Sucking, trying to, you know, it's a real thing. I have seen people that their spouse is literally sucking the life out of them. I mean, they can't do anything right. Everything they say, they jump on them and they chew them. Everything they do, nothing is right, nothing is enough. That is devilish. Nobody has a right to do any of this stuff. I've had people tell me. You know, I'm sorry to say, a preacher. Tell me, he thought God gave our husbands and wives, he thought he gave you know them to each other to unload on. What does that mean? Well, you know, somebody to vent your frustrations on. Where's that scripture? <laughs> and that's a big part of the problem. You see, people, you know, they think, well, I'm supposed to walk in love. And they think that means outside the house. And you even hear people talking about, well, I mean, I'm glad when I can get home and just be myself. Well, who you being... Outside. What do you mean? People mean they get home and they can yell and scream and bite and lash out and just say whatever they think and whatever they feel. That is not okay. I said, that is not okay. Ever. That is never okay. It's devilish. Yielding to selfishness. What we've got to do it's what the Bible said. Husbands, you think about what the Lord told us to do. Right? Yeah, but my wife's not. Shh, hush. 
You do, you make up your mind. I'm going to do what the Lord told me to do if she never does what she's supposed to do. Because one of these days I'm going to stand before the Lord. Just me. Did you hear me now? And it ain't going to hold water for you to stand up there and the Lord said, why didn't you do what I told you to do? And you said, well, Lord, my wife wouldn't, you know, she wouldn't and, and mama wouldn't and my brother would. He's not going to hear it. Because he knows what you knew and what you didn't know. He knows all of it. None of that's going to hold weight or make a difference. You're not responsible. Husbands, you're not responsible for whether your wife does the word or not. Wives, you are not responsible for whether your husband does the word or not. They're an adult. Right? No man wants a daughter for a wife. Not a strong man. No strong woman wants a son for a husband. So you don't treat your husband like a child or your son. You don't treat your wife like a child or your daughter. Smile a little bit. (laughs) This is good for us. Right? Your husband is not your little boy to teach and tell and, you know, treat him like a child. Your wife is not your little girl. You don't talk to her like a child. Did you hear me now? We are adults. Right? And I'm not supposed to, you know, make my wife do what the Word says. She's not supposed to try to make me do what the Word says. We'll be held accountable before the Lord individually for what he told us to do, and so will you. Right? So, now that y'all are excited about that, (laughs) what did he tell the husband, verse 7? Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them how? According to knowledge. Giving honor to the wife. Now, let's just stop right there. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Giving honor to the wife. Another translation says, in the Amplified, says, You married men should live considerately with your wives with an intelligent recognition, honoring the woman. Honor. Honor. I've seen guys at gatherings and the All they did the whole time was crack jokes about their wife's cooking, about what she did around the house, about uh, her looks, or about, that ain't funny. I said, that's not funny. I said, that's not funny. And a lot of times people are laughing, they've kind of got used to it, but it's the core of a lot of problems. You're supposed to treat that woman with respect. You're supposed to treat that man with respect. And the longer we go and the more we're around each other, we shouldn't get less respectful. We should become more respectful of each other. Not taking each other for granted. You're all believing with me now, right? I got a lot more to go here. And I'm not just wasting time here. i got to feel like this is settled in this place before we can go to the next thing. Do you believe it's true? That we are instructed in the word of God, husbands and wives. We are instructed to esteem each other. 
Respect each other. Value each other. Honor each other. Is that right? Now, this is an area where people are failing miserably. Right and left. And how many know it's not just something you do for show when you're outside the house in front of somebody else. Or because we preached on it at church here and everybody's got it on their mind next week that you, you know, you do this and you do that and you make a big deal out of your spouse. That ain't the main thing. It's what do you do at home? Right? What do you do at home day to day? There ought to be a lot of thank you going on in the house. Hmm? Thank you. I appreciate that. Right? And someone says, well, they know it. Uh Uh-uh. Not okay. You need to verbalize it. You need to vocalize it. You need to say, I appreciate it. Thank you. I believe in you. And when something crosses your mind, you know, they look good. They did a good job. They handled something well. You need to tell them. It's must have well 40 people at the job tell them. That ain't you. And it comes from you different, and it means something different from you. Are you with me now? This is true with your children, too, of course. But with each other. It comes across your heart. It comes across your mind. You don't just look at them and go, hmm, pass the potatoes. (laughs) Too much good things unsaid. Too many bad things said. How many understand we should reverse this? Hmm? Noticing problems, noticing faults, noticing failures. So many times there's no profit in even saying anything about it. People already see it. They already know it. They feel bad about it already. Right? Just let it be. Believe God. And then when the good thing comes up, that's what you talk about. Just like we do in the church here. Right? right? Testimony time. How about the week before? Did the devil do anything? You wouldn't know it from going here. You'd think we don't even hardly believe in the devil. Why? Well, sure, the devil does. He did some stuff. Sure, he did. But we refuse. To emphasize it, we refuse to give him any satisfaction or credit or glory. But we'll tell when somebody got a new pocket knife. We've done it. Why? Give God all the glory. All, all the glory. Why can't we do that at home with each other? Why couldn't we do that? Instead of nitpicking and pointing out every little thing, every little thing, well, you did, you did it again, you did it again. Well, how many times have you told them that? I think it's 10,000. <laughs> well, it ain't working. Why don't you quit that and do something else? <laughs> huh? <laughs> Whew. Go with me, if you would, please, to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter. You got some time? 
You see a number of instances in the scripture that reveal this truth we're talking about tonight. But boy, this is one of the most outstanding to me. It is the love and the marriage and the problems of Michael and David. His first wife, Michael. In 1 Samuel 18, I realize this different people pronounce her name differently, but, you know, for a Mississippi boy, this will probably be close enough. <laughs> Michael, Michael, whatever. She was Saul's daughter, 1 Samuel 18. Saul's daughter. Now, at this particular point, you know the stories leading up to this. David was a ruddy, good-looking young man that helped his daddy by tending to the sheep and playing his music out there and learning faith and fellowshipping with God. And you know how that God used him to bring a great victory by killing Goliath, the biggest enemy of his people. And then he got invited to play for Saul because he was good on the instrument. And the main thing, he was anointed. But he is from a relatively poor family and nothing significant about him except for the greatest thing, he's anointed of God and called of God and he has a future and a destiny. And uh, Michael, verse 20, 1 Samuel eighteen twenty, Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. She did what? She loved him. And they told Saul and he tried to use it to get David killed. Saul's not a very nice guy. And uh, David apparently loved her too. Because there went through some things. First of all, he thought they were going to get together and get married. And it didn't work out. And then Saul, trying to kill him, told him if he would conquer and kill enough of the enemy that he would let him marry his daughter. Well, man, he went into the thick of battle and he killed, what was it, 200 men? And he came back, and Saul thought for sure, we won't hear from him again. You know, he's going to go and do this and blast into some of these areas single-handedly. Well, God was with him. How many can see here, this is a epic love story. She is pining over him in the uh, palace. And he is out on the field willing to do almost anything to be with her. And he took his life in his hand and he went through enemy lines and hand to hand and hand to hand 200 times in a day. Now that's something. And he comes back, he said, I did it. We were getting married. He had spoken in front of all his court. He had to go through with it and they got married. And you can see every evidence that they loved each other and they thought each other was it. At this point in her life, I would say that she thought David, what the young folks say, was he was all that and a bag of chips. <laughs> what do you mean by that? He was everything she had ever dreamed of. Now, let's just stop right here. Was David a man among men? And we know he made some mistakes later on in his life, but was he a man? Among men. King David. 
And at this point in her life, they were so in love. And if you skip to the 19th chapter, it had got so rough with her daddy and him. He's trying to kill him. He's trying to pin him to the wall with a spear every time he comes to play almost. Until she helped him escape. Which could have certainly been considered treason. In the kingdom, punishable by death. It had happened many times in many other kingdoms. I mean, many sons and daughters had been killed for less than this. She helped David escape and she put a bolster in his bed and acted like he was in there sick to give him time enough to get away. I mean, she put her life at jeopardy to help him get away. I'm just reiterating the fact she loves him. He loves her. Well, at this point, he was on the run for years, having to move every day, every other day. And you know he missed her. And you know she missed him. And when God gave him deliverance, and the elders of the land came to him, and they were agreeing with him, you know, we will serve you, and you can be king. You know one of the first things he said to them? I'll accept it. I'll be your king. Nothing happens to you bring my wife here today. After all these years, after all the stuff he's been through, read it. Some of you act like you're not familiar with it. In Second uh, Samuel 3. Of course, Second Samuel happens after what? After all those other chapters of all his running and all of his battles and all the stuff he's been through. And Second Samuel... The third chapter, Saul and Jonathan have been killed. The enemy that has sought his life for so long is no longer in the picture. And Second Samuel 3 and down about verse 12, Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf. And he said, whose is the land? Uh, said, make a league with me and my hand will be with you to bring all Israel to you. In other words, they're handing him the country on a platter. Come be the king. Here's what he says, verse 13, he says, well, I will make a league with you, but one thing I require of you, you will not see my face except you first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. Now that's something, after all these years and all this stuff, and now finally what they've been hiding and fighting and believing for comes to pass, and he says, now first thing, first thing, where's my wife, where's Michael? Well, she had been given to another man. But nations are hanging in the balance. And for sundown, they had her there. And finally, after all this, David and Michael back together. Now, I'm saying all this to say, do you understand? This is a love story. This is not just an arranged marriage. This is not somebody trying to make do with each other. They were head over heels in love with each other. They're willing to die. You know, they risk their life for each other. How many of this would make a great movie? Yeah. This is... But now notice, just a few chapters later, in chapter 6, they're back together through chapters 4 and 5. And in chapter 6, 2 Samuel 6, verse 11. 
6.11 of Second Samuel. The ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. It was told King David saying the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom. All that pertains to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they bare the ark of the Lord and then had gone six paces. He sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with the linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting, with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, who? Michael. They thought David, back a few years ago, hung the sun, moon, and stars. He was all that. Saul's daughter looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And what? She despised him in her heart. What does that mean? Can it happen? People go from the other person is their joy in life and the most wonderful man, the most wonderful woman on the planet until... Same person, absolutely despise them. Don't want to be in the same room with them. It's happened too many times. Now, notice this word despise. In fact, in the New Testament, you'll see the word despisers. When is it okay, and what under what circumstances would it be okay for us to despise another person? You believe that? Then the despiser is always in the wrong. Was David in the wrong this day? No. Now let's just stop right here. She despises him. Does she have a good man? One of the best on the planet. Well, the Bible says a man after God's own heart. He said. But she no longer sees him as valuable. She despises him. Now despising is joined with something else. Hold your place here. Well, no. Let me finish reading it. Then you won't have to hold your place. We'll just go. She saw him leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord. And set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle. And David blessed the people. And verse 19, they gave food to everybody. And verse 20, David went to bless his household. I mean, he's, he's looking to have a good time. He's been having a great day all day. And now he, he's done his kingly duties and his priestly duties. And he wants to come home and continue to celebrate with his family. And Michael comes out to meet him. And rains on his parade. Didn't you? Does it, should he be rejoicing? Does he have anything to rejoice about? The Ark of the Covenant is home. The presence of God is in our midst. God's not upset with us. He's not displeased with us. His favor is on us. He's given us victory from our enemies. He's protecting us. Man, he thought, I got to shout. I just got, you know, I know I'm supposed to sit up here on this throne and look kingly, but he threw his robe off. Now, you know, some people try to say, well, he was naked. And she says something about, I don't know that he was. He said he had something on. He had a linen ephod. 
And I don't know if he exposed himself when he got carried away dancing. I don't know. But he wasn't naked. He had something on. But he wasn't acting like a pompous king. (laughs) He was acting Pentecostal. (laughs) He was. I mean, he had just done got happy. And he said, I can't. I'm sorry. Stop. Stop. I can't sit up here. Here, you take kiss. And he began to pull off all that stuff. And he handed his crown and handed his staff, handed that big robe and that big fur hat. And he said, I can't dance in these boots. Take these boots up. And he got out there by the ark. And he helped himself. He danced. He shouted. He sang with some of the common people down there. And boy, that just didn't sit right with her. She's watching him out of the window. And the more she watches it, the madder she gets. And boy, by the time he gets home, she's fuming and she's laying for him. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) I got a glimpse of some other folk just then, but... How many know <laughs> it is not okay for the man or the woman to get something in their head and get to fuming and get to stewing all day long? And boy, when they come in, I'm going to let them have it. You're wrong. I don't care how right you think you are about some technical thing. You are wrong. Your spirit is wrong. Right? You got people that think they're the Holy Ghost police. (laughs) It is their job to straighten everybody out. Sure everybody what's right and what's wrong. Sure everybody there or their ways. No, 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 no. That's not your job. Your job is do what God told you to do. Right? And not judge other people. Not judge them. She said, how glorious was the king of Israel today. What do you hear in that? Sarcasm. See, sarcasm is a form of insincerity, falseness. You can hear guile in it, and you can hear bitterness. Now, did you hear that word? Bitterness. In fact, this will go good like this. Hold your place there. And go to First Peter again. Let's see. Uh, I told you wrong. It's Hebrews. The one I want you to go to right now is Hebrews 12. I told you wrong. Hebrews 12. And verse 14. Hebrews 12, 14. Still holding your place, I hope, in Second Samuel 7. Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men, should you make an effort to keep peace, pursue it with everybody, keep the peace, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, so this is not something that's going to happen automatically, you're going to have to stay on this, lest any man do what? Fail 
of the grace of God. Now let's just stop right there. Can you fail of the grace of God? Or how are you going to make it without the grace of God? You're not. I don't care what you think you know or who you think you are. You cannot be successful and victorious and overcome in this life but by the grace of God. Every victory, every answer that comes to you, every time you're able to do something and do it right and get it done, it's grace, grace, grace in the morning, grace in the afternoon, grace in the nighttime. Right? How many understand that? So if you fail of the grace of God, then there's going to be failure after failure. Without the grace, you're just on your own. He said, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any what? Root of bitterness bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright for you know how afterward when he would have inherited the blessing he was rejected he found no place of repentance though he sought it carefully with tears now what did he do you go back and read the scripture it said he despised his birthright And he sold it for nothing. He did not value what he had. And he was willing to risk losing it for nothing. A bowl of porridge. And as a result of that, in the end, there was bitterness. And a lot of people defiled. And what we're seeing in the Middle East is still some of it. Bitterness, a root of bitterness that has spread down and has grown up and reached out through nations. Everybody say bitterness. Bitterness. When you detect bitterness in your life, in your thought, in your feelings, in your craw, in your marriage, in your home, friend, do what you got to do to get it out. Because it does not get better by itself. It's just going to get worse. It's coupled directly with failing to esteem, failing to appreciate, failing to value. Thirty years or so ago, there was an elderly man who his wife had just gone home to be with the Lord. She's a fine woman of God. Everybody was confident she went straight to be with the Lord. And I ministered to him. I knew him well. I ministered to him some weeks after her home going to check on him and man he was he's in bad shape I mean he just you could tell he'd been sitting there in his room sobbing I guess for days and I tried to talk to him and all he would talk about is how he didn't appreciate what he had and he'd show me pictures of her she's much older and she was quite a bit overweight but all he could tell me is how beautiful she was And I didn't see it, he said. And he kept telling me about her fine qualities. And he said, I I didn't tell her. And I didn't. And he just started crying again. Well, how many know that's late? Is that late? Are we that foolish? Are you that foolish? Am I that? Do we have to lose what God gave us before we realize what we have? Most people do. Most people do before they really begin to get an idea. But you do not have to. By grace and by faith, you can say, God, open my eyes. 
Let me see what you see in this man or woman. Let me see what you've given me in this relationship. And then what you got to do is keep it in front of yourself. You got to talk about it. You got to think about it. And if you'll do that, you'll live today so that you have no regrets tomorrow. Oh, come on now. Can you say amen? Do you see this? Do you believe this? I mean, the writer of Proverbs, he's telling his sons, he says, son, why would you go and embrace the bosom of a strange woman? And uh, people might think, well, because they're good looking and because of this. No, it's because you're dumb. (laughs) It is. Because you are very shallow and don't see much. How many understand there's more to a man than a body? There's more to a woman than a body. Right? And his big question is, why would you grab a stranger? Key word here being stranger. And yet people do it all the time. But it's ignorance. And what people are doing so many times, they've been married to somebody, fine man of God, fine woman of God. They used to think they were all that. Now, five years later, ten years later, twenty years later, well, that's just my old lady. That's just, you know, my man. Yeah, praise God. (laughs) And uh, no longer see them in the right light. And so what the enemy tries to do, when you do that and you just make little of them and you make light of them and, you know, they're just, all you see is the bad stuff. And all you talk about is the bad stuff and you don't talk about the good. How many know the more, whatever you talk about, you're going to become more aware of. And the less you talk about something, the less aware you're going to be of it. So you're never talking about their good points. So you get to the point where you forget them and you don't see them. You're always talking about their faults. So you get to the point where that's all you see. That's all you see. And then the enemy comes along and tries to get you to look at somebody else that you don't know. They are a stranger. But then he wants to paint all this romantic idea about how they are and they are so perfect and how it would be with them. And it's a lie. You don't know them. Now, you've been with this person for 10 years, 20 years, whatever. You know them. And you may forget they know you too. (laughs) How many understand it is, what's the word? It's ignorant and foolish to compare something you know to something you know nothing about. How can you compare it? I've had uh, young couples. Hadn't been married that long, sit across from my desk and just crying. And on this one occasion, this woman said, well, you know, he doesn't treat me like so-and-so. I said, who's that? She said, well, so-and-so and so-and-so named a couple. And I thought, well, I looked at him. I said, who's that? He said, it's some couple on a soap opera. (laughs) I felt for him at that point. I thought, oh. And then she brought up somebody else in a movie. 
She's comparing their relationship and their marriage to something she saw in a movie. Something she saw. Let me just stop right there. Does that happen a lot? Come on, guys. Now, are y'all with me? Some people looked at me like, that's ridiculous. That has happened in this room too many times to talk about. A lot of times it's never verbalized. But people come away after watching it feeling deprived. (laughs) And kind of sad. Because we don't have that. Let me give you some insight. They don't have it either. It's a movie. They're not even married. They're acting. Tours pretending something that is not real and they do it and the director goes cut and they go I need some Perrier in my trailer and they walk back and they're on their ninth marriage and nobody can live with them now we are not so ignorant are we that we don't know the difference between imaginary and real When God has given us something and someone real, real, he's given us a treasure. He's given us somebody that has a place in their heart for us and a place in our heart for them and eyes to see our values and our worth and us eyes to see their value and their worth. And after as the years go by, you learn all the nuances Of what the other person likes and appreciates. No stranger can compete with that. In a thousand years. You could try stranger after stranger. And it just ain't going to happen. It takes time. To get to know each other. And to learn these things. But it's not going to work. And it's not going to be enjoyable. Unless you got two people. That are unselfishly giving. Giving. Respecting, honoring, esteeming at home when nobody sees them, as well as in public when other people see them. Bible said, Michael, if you flip back over there real quickly now, what'd she say? Having read this, can you hear something in the tone of her voice? What do you hear? Do you hear bitterness? Do you hear bitterness? She said, verse 20, How glorious was the king of Israel today. Now let's just stop right here. Forget that he's her husband. He is the king. How many understand that, let's say your husband, your wife, works in an office, works in a situation. Just because you are their husband or wife, that does not give you a right to be more disrespectful to them than the other people they work around. Well, I'm his wife. I can say anything I want to. You can miss God and sin. Well, I'm her husband. You know, I don't have to mince words. It is not okay that people find more respect at work than they do at home. 
So many times, that's one way the door was open for a lot of these office romances to get started. Because they got somebody at work that's oohing and aahing over them. How wonderful they are. How wonderful they are. How wonderful they are. And then they get home and they get sarcasm. Like this. She said, how glorious was the king. Oh, yeah. You're a dandy today. (laughs) Uncovered yourself in the eyes of the handmaids of your servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovered himself. I think maybe his worst offense could have been that he danced in his underwear. And whether you think that was okay or not, he's the king, man. <laughs> right? He's the anointing of God. King wants to dance in his underwear. You better shut up and say, hey, today's underwear day. <laughs> huh? What I'm saying is there's a lot of people do not know when to keep their mouth shut. They think because I am their spouse, I got a right and I can say it if I want to. Hey, I'm his wife. I can tell him anything I want to. No, you're not supposed to. I'm her husband. I can tell her whatever I think. You are not supposed to. You're supposed to show them respect. Treat them with dignity. Right? It's not okay to unload on them. Vent your frustrations. Take your aggravation and frustration out on them because they are living in the same house with you. That is not okay. And friend, that has happened too many times. Somebody have a bad day at the office and here they come. And it's bite and snap. And it's a trickle down. Boss jumps on daddy. Daddy jumps on mama. Mama jumps on the kid, and kid kicks the dog, and dog go bites the mailman. <laughs> mailman can't take it for 20 years and go get a high-powered rifle and start shooting people. I mean, I'm so, it's, something happened. Why did they break? That's only rare, isolated cases. <laughs> if you're a mailman, no offense intended. But it is not okay. Somebody said, well, I got somewhere. I got to get it out. You're not supposed to let it in. I got to vent it some way. No, you're not supposed to let it in. Forget the venting it. Another word for venting is yielding. Yielding to the flesh, yielding to the devil, and people are going to get hurt, including you. And it is not okay. It is not okay that people rail on their husbands and wives and their kids and spew this venom of bitterness and fill their house with this ugly, devilish stuff when it's supposed to be. Slice of heaven on earth. 
It's supposed to be the place that no matter how ugly everybody was to you today, you can go home and there's people there that believe in you. No matter how bad you messed up, there's going to be somebody there that's going to support you. Hmm? They don't have to call wrong right that if you blew it, they don't have to say you didn't blow it, but they can say, that's all right. It's going to be okay. I'm with you. I believe you. You're a good man. You're a good woman. I believe in you. Nobody gets too much of that. You can't overdose, overload on that. And that's what's supposed to happen in our families. How many know this church is a family? Made up of families. It all works by exactly the same principle. It's supposed to be that no matter how rough you had it, through the previous days, you come in here. And there's going to be love and peace, joy and faith. And it's supposed to be that way when you go home and when your wife gets home and when your husband gets home and when your kids get home. It's supposed to be that way. Life, peace, joy, a taste of heaven on earth. That's our right. That's our inheritance. Our children ought to have the privilege and right to grow up in that kind of atmosphere instead of hiding in their room till mom and daddy quit screaming. Well, people have fights sometimes and they have to work. No, no, no. They don't. Phyllis have had our problems in the past, but we have also for years now gone without having that. There's been times we stayed up all night long and wasted good time. Thank God those days are gone. We've learned some things. We grew up. Begin to grow up in love. And actually begin to do some things the scripture said. And when you do that. Those screaming. Yelling. And then cold war days. Afterwards. Are a thing of the past. You realize that is immature. That is so childish. And so selfish. And life is so short. Did you understand it friend? Life is so short. You do not want to be like that man I told you about 30 years ago pulling his hair and can't seem to get over it because he didn't realize what he had. And he wasted so many days of being ill and mean and hard to live with. And now that time's passed. Well, we got today. I said, we've got today. And we can be thankful. And we can talk and we can express and we can tell people we love them. We can tell them we believe in them. And and we can bite our tongue and not say things that hurt. Right? We can do it right now. Starting right now, tonight, today. Can you say amen? amen? The Bible said when Michael spewed all that stuff, David said he didn't apologize to her. He shouldn't have, should he? See, that's what she wanted. She wanted him to submit to her and, you know, apologize and say, yeah, I'm sorry. I acted a fool. No, he didn't. He wasn't supposed to. He said, it was the Lord who chose me before your daddy. And before all this, you know, she forgot where she's at, didn't she? She forgot what's happened. To appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord of Israel. And so I am going to play before the Lord. I know who brought me here. I know who put me here. And I'm going to dance. (laughs) And you just better get over it. Because uh, verse 22. I'm liable to get more vile yet. 
<laughs> you thought that was some vulgar dancing. Well, you, you better just go somewhere else because I'm going to, what he's saying is, and see, here's, you really get to the heart of the deal. I will be base in my own sight. Now, you're probably stretching it to say he really uncovered himself. He was dancing in the little linen stuff. He was not being kingly. He was humbling himself and he wasn't on the big horse. He wasn't in the big chariot. He didn't have the big crown on. He had a little cotton jersey and some stuff on and he's dancing out there with the common folks. And see, she's a king's daughter. She's born in that atmosphere. And she was embarrassed by this whole situation. You embarrassed me today. You were embarrassed me in front of my friends. Well, you just told us that you're full of pride. And you need to be the one fasting and praying through. Instead of talking to somebody else. You embarrassed me in front of my friends. Well, people don't think about what they're saying to that person. What do you mean? They're an embarrassment to you in front of your friends. Well, now that is a far cry from them being valuable to you. Right? Friends, be conscientious about this thing. So, well, people say, well, ah, Brother Keith, you don't understand our relationship. We understand each other. We know it don't mean anything. You're wrong. You're wrong. Your words are having more effect than you know and think. It is not okay. It's costing you more than you know. These are the kind of people that bump along for several years and they get up one day and their spouse is gone. And they go, I don't understand. I thought everything was okay. No, it wasn't okay for a long time. And you were too blind to see it. We must value what God has given us. We must consider what a treasure we have. That's a little weak. That was a little weak. What a treasure God has given us in our husband and our wife. Hmm? Come on, let me give you another chance to get a little even more vocal about that. We must. <laughs> huh? We must get enthused and excited and vocal and demonstrative about what a treasure. What an eternal treasure. So they got a few faults. You do too. You can search a planet over and you're not going to find anybody that doesn't have any. You think they got some, you ought to try living with some of these other folks. I've met people like that before. They've divorced a dozen times. And now the one they got now makes them long for the good old days. (laughs) I'm serious, I've seen it. Be, have, have understanding that you don't get your eyes on somebody else and, and you don't even know them and let the devil put all this stuff in your mind about how amazing and wonderful and how you just float through life in the perfect romance. It's garbage. It's garbage. You don't even know them. You don't know what they are. Who or what they are. But what God has joined together. There you go. Now you're getting with me a little bit. What God has joined together. Don't you let any lying devil or thought or fault find. Try to separate. 
try to divide yourself. Oh, no, 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 I'm not ignorant. I'm not dumb. God has given me a treasure. A treasure. And that's all I'm going to see and that's all I'm going to say. And you watch it, friend. You, but two people start doing this. Two people start doing this. You are going to be a catalyst to draw the very finest out of them. Phyllis and I have seen it with each other over the last several years. I mean, we just keep coming up as people, as individuals. Our character, our understanding, our ability. The more we believe in each other, the more we support each other. I told her just, uh, you know, my dad went home to be with the Lord a couple of weeks ago. And um, she knew the circumstances and that day and she wanted to get to me real bad. And I told her, no, I said, the family needs you too. And so she stayed here and spoke, you know that. But boy, she got to me quick as she could. And boy, for those days, you talk about a rock. She had my back. I mean, I could feel it. And every time I was able to take a step and do something and not... My emotions not hold me down. And God graced me. She'd look at me. She said, man, I'm proud of you. Well, you're a man of God. Man, you're doing what you need to do. Thank you. You're being so strong. I don't care how much you've heard or what you think you know. That goes right inside your heart. And it makes you strong. Right? But what happens so many times, I've seen this, it's so sad, that in some of the most trying and pressing of times, people who are immature and fleshy, that's when they have some of the worst fights. Because, well, you never spent that kind of time with me and you never, you know, they feel jealous, they feel threatened and don't realize it's time for you to be there for them. And instead of being there for them, you're a drain. To them. You're pulling on them and being needy. As men and women of God, we never have to be needy. Not with the greater one inside. We never have to be needy. We can always be strong and be there for each other. Can you say amen? And there are times when you need to speak up. Somebody sends you an ugly gram. You know what an ugly gram is? And it's time for your spouse to speak up and go, that ain't true. They don't know you. Right? You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. You're a fine man. Fine woman. I know I'm being redundant, but it is so important. Where are you? What happened to Michael? And her and David lived happily ever. Now see, that's what people want. They want to act like this and they want fairy tale lives in their mind. It doesn't work. You don't treat people like this and then turn around and want them to hold you. People are hurting. She's in bad shape. She needs him, doesn't she? She needs him. 
This is her man. This is the love of her life. This is who she was willing to die for to make sure he got away. This is who she used to sit in the palace bedroom and write uh, Mrs. David. <laughs> Mrs. Michael David. You say what I'm saying? The love of her life. How does this change? How does this go from this to despising? And the Bible tells that she was cursed. From that day, not just a couple of days, from that day on, why? Because that root of bitterness. See, people talk about, well, when God made her barren. No, no. That, see, people have not realized bitterness will contaminate you physically. It'll poison you. It'll call bile to come up in you and poison. It'll affect, it'll reduce the effectiveness of your immune system. It will contaminate. That's what some translations say. Instead of saying defile, it says contaminate. Bitterness. You can see, I've seen many couples that, you know, they try to put on a pretty good front, but you can tell if you're around them for any length of time, they start talking and you see the shortness between them. Now, Phyllis and I were talking, Pastor Arch. There was a couple, not in our church, of course. <laughs> but uh, we met them out doing something and... Uh, they rolled down the window. They were in the car and we were in a vehicle on the other side and they were trying to tell us something. We were talking to them, just being friendly. And uh, he tried, He started to say something about it and she turned. She said, you shut up. I'm telling this. You just, just shut up. And he did like a good little boy. He just sort of... <laughs> now, Now, she'd like to believe, maybe he does too, I don't know, that they have an understanding and they, you know, this is just us. And But no, they are not okay. They are on shaky ground. Despising each other. Barking at each other. Now, thinking about at least getting ready to close, I want to mention a few practical things to you as to how you can see evidences of this in your day-to-day life because all this is for naught unless we do it. Unless we put it into practice, it's not going to matter. But it's got to be practical ways that you show respect and esteem that other person. Let me mention a few to you real briefly here. You esteem your husband, you esteem your wife, First of all, by how you see them. How you see them. And I want every one of us to pray right now. Very sincerely. Say it out loud. Father God. Open my eyes. Let me see. My spouse. Through your eyes. The way you see them. Enable me. Remind me. And show me, reveal to me, the beautiful things, the godly things, the precious things that you have put in them, who they are, what they are, to you, to me, to the world. Enable me to see it. In Jesus' name. And don't let that be the last time you think about that or pray that way. You must always be endeavoring to see them like God sees them. The enemy wants you to see them through his eyes. And he wants to devalue them and debase them to nothing. But God, he sees 
how it really is. And when you start seeing them the way he does, oh my. Is Jesus wonderful? Then why does his own hometown and his own family despise him? He stands up, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me. You sick? Hey, get ready. Get healed. You broke? Get ready to get rich. The anointing is here. And they were offended and they said, well, who is he? That's Joseph and Mary's boy. We know him. Who does he think he is? Standing up saying he's anointed. Was he wonderful? Is he wonderful? They couldn't see it. All they could see is flesh. They judged him after the flesh. And we must not judge each other after the flesh. How you see each other. Also, how you talk about each other. How you refer to each other. Man of God. Woman of God. Hmm? Virtuous woman. Fine man. They need to hear you say things like that to them. And if you say, oh, Brother Keith, I ain't going for all this corny stuff. Well, you'll pay the price. You're already paying the price. And you will pay a greater price if you don't change. Value. How you speak about them. How you speak about them to other people. Right? When they're not there. How you talk about them when they're there to each other. How you speak. And how you treat, of course. How we treat each other. One of the biggest problems you see as people are with each other and time goes on is they begin to take things for granted. And they begin to assume and presume. And it's just stuff they should do. Hmm? They ought to do it. Well, he's supposed to make a living for me. Said who? Why do they owe you something? Now, you've got to think about this. Well, she's supposed to, I'm talking about a traditional, you know, type arrangement. She's supposed to uh, have dinner on the table. She's supposed to clean. Or if it's switched around, he's supposed to clean. They're supposed to. Where's my supper? That is devilish. Amen. I said, that's devilish. Amen. Well, you better get out and make us enough money. Don't put pressure on somebody like that. They're not your source. You better get out and make some money. They're supposed to bring that check home and give it to me. Said who? I've given them the best years of my life. They owe me. If they do, then you are not a giver. They owe me. I've been there for them. You know, I've worked hard. and I've provided for them. And I've uh, cooked and I've cleaned. And I've sat up by their bedside. You know, they owe me. If they owe you, then you didn't give them anything. You're not a giver. You want payment. 
You want repayment for what you have done. So you're not a giver. You didn't give them anything. You didn't sow anything. You want to be paid back. It's devilish, fleshly, ungodly. But if you gave them something, what do they owe you? (laughs) They owe you not not even a thank you. Now look at the other side of this now. They owe you nothing. Why? Because you weren't trying to buy anything. You're just giving it. You're just sowing it. And when you think like that and you stir up your mind every day in day-to-day life, then you quit taking things for granted. I don't care if they made you a meal 10,000 times. They didn't owe you this one today. Oh, that's not strong enough, guys. People save and try to be spiritual by, well, bless God, now I work hard. And I bring in the money and by Joby's, she's going to have the food on the table. That's her job. Said who? She can leave you tomorrow and say, forget you. No, she can't. Oh, yeah, she can. Well, he's supposed to make a living for me and these kids. He can leave you tomorrow. Well, he ain't supposed to. I didn't say what he's supposed to. I said he can't. It happens all the time. Anytime you get into this, they owe me. They owe me. They owe me. Well, he's supposed to talk like this to me. And he's supposed to take time like this with me. And she's supposed to take time like, you know. No. That's being the sucker. That's being the needy. And when you do that, there's something you're not doing. You don't appreciate what they have done. You don't appreciate what they are doing. It's like the proverb talks about the leech that keeps saying, give, give, give. The leech will suck you dry. Right? Never enough blood. No, I need more. I need more. Yeah, but my brain's failing right now. Yeah, but I gotta have that. I gotta have that. I gotta have more blood. More blood. <laughs> I have my needs. You have to support me. You have to support my ministry. You have to support me because you're supposed to. This is ugly. I don't know if I'm explaining it well enough. If I'm, Lord, help me to get it out right. This is the way of the world, the unsaved, the ungodly. But see, if you live with somebody year after year after year, and you do stuff, and they do stuff, and you do feel like I do my part, and you do your part, well, you know, that's the way life is, Brother Keith, you know, good marriage, 50-50. No. That's not a scripture. Well, there's a lot of give and take, you know, Brother Keith, a lot of give and take. In a good, No. Forget to take. Forget to take. And just give. 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 And require nothing in return. You require nothing. I don't care whether it's ministry, marriage, whatever it is. You get to being presumptive. You're yielding to pride. 
I've seen ministers do it so many times, you know, maybe God blesses them and increases them and then they get to the place where they think, well, you know, I'm supposed to have a certain seat and people are supposed to meet me and people are supposed to tote my case and, and people are supposed to do this and people are supposed to do that. And boy, if it don't happen, whew, they get irate. People do the same thing in marriage. They get used to what people are doing for them and, and it's supposed to be here. Where's it at? Where's the paycheck? Where's the biscuits? Where's my shirts? Where's my shirts? What do you mean you didn't get them? (laughs) That's your job. You're supposed to get them. Said who? Who said that? See, this being unthankful means not esteeming. When you're not thankful, you're not esteeming. So what do we got to do? We got to stir ourselves up. Right? When it comes to what they do for us, we expect nothing. We appreciate everything. Say it out loud. Expect nothing. I'm talking about from people now. We expect a lot from God. But from looking at an individual, we expect nothing. Let me just stop right here. Expect nothing. Now, what if you, in the morning, they don't do what they normally do? You'd find out. If you're just sitting up in church talking. <laughs> oh, yeah, a lot of things are just finding good in church. Until <laughs> you start trying to live it. No. You expect. Don't presume. Or expect or think they owe you anything. But if they do something for you, appreciate it. Everything. Just like it was a total stranger doing it for you. I got four or five people with me. (laughs) You have to renew your mind. And you have to stay on this. That's what he said. Watch diligently so you don't fail of the grace of God. Let you get a root of bitterness up in you. Then things are going to be contaminated. And even a lot of people could wind up getting defiled by it. See, people do... (laughs) They sit sometimes for a day or two or a week and they imagine what these people are going to do for me. And they got it all figured out. Yeah, they'll probably do this and then I'm sure they'll do that. And then they'll do this. And then if they don't do it, they get mad. They get so fat and steaming mad. Why? Well, because it was my birthday. I can't believe you forgot my birthday. We've only been married 38 years. You think you'd remember my... You are wrong. You are so wrong. They don't owe you a candle. They don't owe you the ribbon off the birthday hat. They don't owe you anything. Who do you think you are? What do you think you are? Well, they ought to do it. See, all the while you're thinking about what they ought to do, you are not doing what God told you to do. You can be sure of that. Have we had all the fun we can take tonight? (laughs) You better stand up before I get started going again. Stand up on your feet. Woo! You better stretch and... Move around a little bit and say, praise the Lord. 
<laughs> Lord, help us. Go ahead and play something, brother. Close your eyes. Let me pray this over us again. Father, I've endeavored to speak what I believed you put on my heart. I ask you to cause it to continue to unfold inside every heart and mind, mine, everyone else, here and by internet. Bring it to us with strength and force if we begin to despise our spouse or fail to appreciate and acknowledge and recognize Forgive us for being presumptuous, demanding, and rude, disrespectful. Teach us the perfect way, the more perfect way, the, the love way, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.